Hi, I'm Brittany Rogers, poet, educator, and editor. And I just want to put the word out there that if you're looking for like a model or a spokesperson for your braiding hair brand, I'm your girl. So if you got the colored hair on deck, holla at me. It would be a brilliant brand partnership. I just want to put that out there. Braids are always fly. I have your back. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ajne Dawkins, poet, performer, and educator. And I recently became a dog mom. It's it's not the chill and laid back situation I thought it would be. Um, more unhinged than ever before essentially. Don't even get me started on her long list of interactive treats and toys to keep her <laughs> mentally stimulated. Ooh, okay. We're your co-host of Versus, the podcast where poets confront the ideas that move them. We're so happy to be here. So happy to be back. Again, still, still as unhinged as ever, but it's okay. Best, I can't believe we're in a new season. Me neither. It just feels like the time went so fast, like it flew by. It did. And it's, I don't know, it's like kind of emotional. I'm not going to lie, but I feel really good about the work we did in season one. I feel like it was low-key a little life-changing getting to talk to everybody that we got to talk to. And I'm really excited for this next season. I'm excited for this season too. I am extra, extra excited about this first episode. Because something that me and Ajane decided is that we wanted to begin this year with more of our listener participation. We got so many great questions from you all over the season, so many thoughtful and thought-provoking DMs, messages. So we wanted to be able to incorporate our listeners in our first season. So what we did was put out a little call for a Q&A, some questions that we felt like folks would love to hear us answer. And so today we're going to spend some time with those questions so that you all can get some of your burning questions answered and so that we start off the season right, engaging with our listeners. Yes, which is very exciting. And we also got some some hot topics as recommended <laughs> with some poetry hot topics as recommended by our listeners as well. So we're going to touch on those. But before we get into all of that, best, I'm curious, what books did you read while we were on break what you been reading oh okay so I've been reading a lot of things I'm like mm-hmm. in progress with three or four books right now so I won't shout those out because I'm still in the middle of them but in terms of books that I finished Big Girl by Mecca Sullivan which was amazing like can't I wait it's literally copies. sitting right here it's on my reading list <laughs> I bought copies for my siblings like it's that one um Eric D. Matthews Bread and Circus of course is magnificent Shayla Law's Speculation was bomb. Bess, you would like that book. Very metaphysical. Like, you would be into it. It's on my reading list. It's literally sitting in my pile right here. So I'm very excited listening to this. I love that we're on the same page. And then Carmen Maria Machada's In the Dream House. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Had me weeping. Very, very nice. I got into I'm Always So Serious by Charisma Price. So I literally had to text Brittany this line, bless the children raising their mother's children. Shout out to the oldest daughters <laughs> listening to this podcast. If you are an oldest daughter and an oldest granddaughter, you don't know. Ooh, and oldest and niece, the oldest baby. niece, you don't know. You are our audience. You are the nichest part. Just want to shout out. You're seen and affirmed here. Seen and affirmed. So that book, Good Talk, A Memoir and Conversations by Mira Jacob. Mira is so beautiful. What Mira, like what Mira does with humor, I aspire. I aspire. Discalculia by Kimon Felix, which is eating me up or ate me up. It was just so good. And then I'm revisiting James Cone's The Cross and the Lynching Tree which is a classic. I had to, I started reading the Bridgerton series for for pure escapism after I finished my last little degree. I was like, I don't want to no, read. You're not going to call it a last little degree. That's Listen, after I finished that last little degree, mm. I needed pure escapism. And the Bridgerton series is all 
heavy panting and viscounts. That's all it is. <laughs> it's all it is. And that heavy panting <laughs> is that is the entirety of the series. Heavy panting, long stairs across rooms, and dukes and viscounts, and occasional prints. This and- is one of the most on brand parts of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. Oh so, my God. that has been my reading list. I think everything that you read is on is on my to read list as well, which I'm excited for. I'm excited to talk to you about them. Yeah, me too. My to be read list is way too long, but that's okay because I'm on break for the summer and I'm enjoying just getting to dive into reading what I want to read. Same, same. I realized I was like, oh, I've been I've been reading for school for a long time, so that has been really nice. It's been really really nice. Okay, so before we get into Listener questions, Bez. Do we want to get into some of these hot topics that were suggested? Yeah, some of y'all <laughs> stuff that I was like, wait a minute, you want us? Why you don't want us to have no show? <laughs> uh, honestly, these are the critical and hard, hard hitting questions. They really do impact craft, <laughs> poets and fist accounts. <laughs> I believe that every poet needs a fist to be clear. If you don't have one, you should probably have one. Oh my gosh. The poet fences, I don't know what the non-poet fences look like. Like I don't know what an engineer's fence looks like. But like the poet fences. I bet you engineer fences is kinky as fuck, babe. You think so? Hell yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. I don't know. You taking people who mathematically, you know what I'm saying, got all of these like technical parts of their job, and then you got a space where they could just let loose and be free. Yes. I don't know and about it's always the engineers. The, fin- the physicist finsters maybe, but I don't know about the engineers finsters. My best, I think they got it. I think they got it. I'm gonna have to ask my STEM girlies what's popping off in the on the engineer <laughs> and physicist finsters. Okay, so refer back. Because I would like to know. Okay, so so speaking of, of poets and their fences, all right, poets and social media presence. This is one of the hot topics that was brought up. Is there something that you feel like poets should not be like engaging with online? I'm ooh. I mean, poets can do whatever they want to do. I suppose I don't want. I'm not on purpose. Hopefully. Because, <laughs> see, ooh, I feel like the second I say I'm not going to do it, something going to pop off tomorrow. And the next thing I know, I'm going to be <laughs> sweet and right along with folks. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like there's a demographic of poetry Twitter that makes a poetry drama. Like, just, it just always seems like there's something. And I don't know that, that poets got to have this much drama. Why are we beefing over the end dash? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't know that I find it as necessary, maybe, as some folks find it. Maybe STEM Twitter is beefing over the Pythagorean theorem, you know? <laughs> like, like really beefing over commas. Maybe, maybe, because people be arguing over stuff that I'm like, ooh, is this our la- is this our hill to die on? I'm convinced that maybe we just all be under deadline. And instead of, <laughs> we're like, ooh, that deadline can't catch me. <laughs> you want to know why? Because I am in a heated debate about the <laughs> about right now. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm down for a little friendly debate, but about something that, you know, is debatable would be nice. Yes. I think that makes a lot of sense because I too, I too have woken up to the comma debates and and didn't know where they came from. And I don't mean my for you page. I'm like, Twitter, leave me alone. Listen, and I don't and I don't mean the good faith like, oh, let's really talk about let's break down the craft of a thing. I mean, y'all really mad unfollowing each other over these M dashes. (laughs) (laughs) Stop blocking. This is a spicy take that I feel like I heard somebody else say, and I don't even remember what conversation this is, but it really made me think about the fact that like, if you are a poet, as in you are, even if this is not your sole job, but like you have like a writing career and you are doing this work as work and like social media cannot be HR. I think I heard somebody say this on a panel, like Twitter is not HR. And I don't mean that in that like there should not be effective and have not been effective call outs for like, like real serious points of harm. But I think that there are sometimes expectations for social media to be something it cannot be. That's real. 
That and so I'm like, I've never met this person. How am I? How can I hold them? Account- I don't know how to hold, hold a person accountable. I've never met. That's Accountability cool. is a part. Like that's a part. We participate in that together. In order for somebody to be held accountable, they have to take account with you. And I think social media for poets gets very messy because it's this combination of the personal and the professional in a way that doesn't always exist for other professions. I think the boundaries are just always a lot clearer for other professions and we don't have an HR. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to languages very carefully we don't how have spicy it. can we get how can listen <laughs> and so i'm like i think that there are legitimate things that that need to be handled or maybe we need a like system or like a process but we need i don't union. know we do <laughs> need a union and i'm i'm not referencing any specific situation but i feel like it's like yo friend eating the last bonbon in the fridge like does not a call out make you know what i mean does not a call out make. these are interpersonal <laughs> issues <laughs> these, are, these are interpersonal issues these are not community issues and even for the community issues we would need a better system because twitter is not great for functioning as a form of hr it's not the restorative justice tool we think it is it's not so that's my hot take on on poets is social media and I feel like that's this ties into one of the other hot topics we got, which is poets publicly maligning other poets. It does. Ooh. And <laughs> again, I was like, not y'all want us to talk about what? They, um. they <laughs> definitely try to get verses taken off the air. <laughs> it's because they know I don't have no filter. <laughs> like, so let me... <laughs> Let me arrange my words very carefully in my brain. Are there people I would love to talk about <laughs> publicly? Yes. Yes. Are there folks who have done things, you know, that I'm like, who would love for the world to know this because this is wild as fuck? Sure. Along the lines of like, you know, colleague-esque positions <laughs> and interpersonal things. Yeah, I just try not to do it. <laughs> I just try not to unless it is something that if we talking abusers, if we talking rapists, we talking pedophiles, that's a different conversation. I think though that there are plenty of other egregious things that people can do that are not those things. Yeah. And I think that's where it becomes, I think, harder for some folks to draw the line. But that's stuff that I think I chalk to the game. Like, okay, well, this is just at its base, it's interpersonal. Ooh, and I'm just have to avoid tweeting about it. And that's why I have a finsta. You see what I'm saying? That's where the finsta comes back. That's where we bring it back. It's for my group chat. <laughs> It is for my threads with best. It is Every for my poet should pages. have a Finsta, a close friend on Twitter. At the bare minimum, a close friend. Look, I have a close friend and a Finsta. Because <laughs> there's, there's levels to this. There's levels to this. And a group chat. No, I definitely, I definitely think that's valid. And I, there's like been some productive conversations that have been had about like critiquing poems publicly like and what it means for people to like be able to see their work like in conversation publicly or being engaged or critiqued publicly which I think also gets kind of I don't know also gets kind of difficult to like participate in like a public criticism of anyone's work because then you need to be ready for that same kind of thing to happen to your work and Especially so I just I don't like this poem. Or yes, it's like rigorous enough, or I don't think you know what I mean. No, I'm in complete agreement with you. If you're like this was racist, this was sexist, this was homophobic, whatever, you know that's that's one thing. But yeah, just you don't like the craft of this poem. That's I'm, for the group chat. <laughs> to me, absolutely, yeah, absolutely for the group chat. Yeah, I think I think maybe my issue with poets maligning other poets on socials is twofold is that either one they are there's typically a discussion about poets who they feel some kind of distance from mm-hmm. like in the like hierarchy of like the visible hierarchy of poets so i feel like people feel a lot more comfortability talking about poets who they feel like are like wildly successful and have mm-hmm. like quote unquote made it have won all these book awards etc cetera, etc cetera. Or it is wildly passive aggressive because it's about peers. And so we're not saying no names. And all I'm saying is say it with your chest. You know what I mean? 
what I'm saying is if we gonna do it like I'm trying to be like the rappers. You know what I mean? I want to follow. I wa- yes, I want to follow the poem beefs. I want to know that the diss poem is coming out in the New Yorker. So, so those are my thoughts. Yeah, if you if you only feel comfortable talking about somebody because you don't feel like they will see it, or you feel like they are like a larger name, and or if you have to be passive aggressive because they're a peer, you know, maybe just not, or maybe say it with your chest, or Maybe, and this is crazy, crazy concept. Have a conversation. Reach out. (laughs) And if you can't reach out, then we already know. Then we already know the vibes. So, but y'all keep subtweeting because I'm definitely going to keep watching. I personally, (laughs) I'm not going to like nothing. I'm not going to comment, but I, I see it. Okay, so this is among my favorite hot topics that was suggested. Somebody asked us to talk about PTSPS, post traumatic, as they named it, <laughs> post traumatic slam poet syndrome. Who? <laughs> and I can't stand whoever this was for that. To be clear, who asked two people who came out of slam? <laughs> you know, maybe person that were a little traumatizing. <laughs> maybe, my. just maybe gosh wildly traumatizing the whole i don't know what's worse my my submission slowly dying and submittable as i wait for my rejections <laughs> or standing in front of literal immediate feedback from strangers <laughs> like <sighs> that immediate feedback is not it it's brutal oh i remember shout out to will evans who is the homie and a brilliant 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 writer when we first were talking about applying to mfa programs i sat down and i talked to will (laughs) and we were talking about like the workshop process and i was like what is it like and will was like you came from slam like (laughs) workshop is about to be nothing for you and i was like fair noted and true indeed workshop was easily delightful one of the easiest parts because it is well, I think that Randolph does something very, very special. But even that aside, yeah. I think it is a much easier process to know that people are about to talk about my poem and we're going to talk about where it could be strengthened. You know what I'm saying? Where it's busting, whatever, versus being on stage. 7.2. you. <laughs> they can give you a three. You know what I'm saying? It can go real bad, real, real quick. Devin, no explanation. Just... <laughs> Just, no feedback. just a number and a single decimal point. Just a 6.5. And you're like, what? What did I do to you people? Uh, a 6.5 of the deepest trauma you've ever shared, as encouraged by your coach. Woo, and that's <laughs> throwing up your grandma's cancer poem to battle. Yes, somebody before you threw up their daddy in jail poem. Yes. <laughs> And you gotta, it's like playing spades. You gotta figure out what's about to trump this other, this Listen, other person's card. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, without knowing what the other person's card is, you gotta be like, okay, how can I trump this person <laughs> without Ooh. knowing what's in their hand? I, I've been removed from the youth scene for so long. I really wanna know, like, I feel like this conversation has been prevalent enough that things have, like, I'm assuming things have changed. You know what I mean? I hope so. I think. I hope so. I think that Slam Slam was wonderful for so many reasons, for so many very good reasons. And like Ajane said, I know that conversations have been happening (laughs) and need to continue to happen just about the way that we approach the work that we put on the stage and what we encourage people to write about, especially youth people. And where we talk to youth people about boundaries at. Like, you know what I mean? Maybe this poem (laughs) that you're writing about your moms is not going to age well. So let's... I had the mom poem that didn't age well. No. <laughs> I did. I knew you weren't being shady towards me, but I pro- it's a general overall sentiment. But that's, I mean, that's what got me to doing, to talking about ethics publicly. Like my experience with, what is, what did the, what term did they use? With PTSPS, <laughs> post-traumatic slam poet syndrome. My experience with that was like, oh, we need to have, a discussion about the ethics of writing and storytelling. We need to have some serious discussion. What part is my story to tell? What does it mean to talk about? Like we, we needed to have that conversation. So 
Whew, okay, this was fun. We're going to have to include this in another thing. Poetry Hot Topics. This was hilarious. It was. We're going to have to ask some more questions. I wish y'all could see the full list of questions we got that were. Okay. So with that, Bess, do we want to start to get into some of these general audience questions for us? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Okay, bet. So let's start with who are some writers that influence you that are not so well-known or widely published? Oh, and see, I thought that that was such a great and thoughtful question. Um, So for my answer, I'm going for not as widely published. It definitely does not mean that they are not well-known. But in terms of who's influencing my writing, Kerwin Sutherland, Jovan O'Neill, Jasmine Parks, and quite frankly, any youth that came through I.O. Inside Out, is is every time I see them perform, every time I see them with new work, they are constantly, constantly reminding me like, oh, you got to step it up. You got to step your game up. So those are my, my folks who are influencing my work. What about you, Bess? Boom. Love that. And I also want to second everybody on that list because writing their behinds off. I want to specify for this first person I do not mean not widely known. I think that traveling made me realize how little we read poets from other countries. (laughs) And so this poet, I just have not seen her talked about a lot in this country, but her book is doing really, really well in the UK. Her name is Safia Kamaria Kinshasa. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. And she wrote this book called Cane, Corn, and Gully. I think she's brilliant. I don't even want to get into all of the specifics of this book, but it like, it notates dance and movement through symbols and poems like it's it's absolutely stunning and then somebody who hasn't been as like active on the scene recently but whose work I is probably in almost every lesson plan I've ever (laughs) taught is going to be he what Adelo that one that one brilliant and not just her poems but her music as well and then my other best friend, Niana Short. Be writing. Oh. Be writing. And poems just be sitting in the Google Drive. What's going on, bro? Like, I literally, I was like, I'm going to start cussing you out about these poems if you don't start submitting them. I'm going to start just logging in to her submittable. That's what I'm going to do. That's really <laughs> just, what we're going to have to do and just start submitting them. Because, like what, because what is going on? And let's see. This is actually not really about lesser known poets because I think a lot of these poets are really well known, but I just want to give a shout out to like all of my earliest influences that I feel like I had to go back and revisit like the Def Jam poets. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like the folks who like when I first first decided that I was interested in poetry who I was absolutely fascinated with and enamored with who like continue to hold special places in my heart because they were the first people that I heard playing around with rhyme and with sound and with performance and all of these things so shout out to to the folks who came through through Def Jam poetry and those other really fly mediums agree best yeah <clears throat> they they ushered in an era i'm not gonna lie they did they did so uh that was a good question okay uh, so let's jump into this next one then can you discuss how you navigate the overlap between friendships and business relationships working in this field okay i think that's funny because you said something during the hot topics section, I don't remember which one you were answering, but you used the language of colleague. And I feel like we need to reclaim the term colleague in the poetry community. I feel like there is this weird, strange thing that happens. And I don't know how it happens in other fields where like you're in this space and it's like, these folks are your family. These folks are your community. And there is this idea that you, in order to enter into a business arrangement with somebody, that the way to doing that is to convince them to be your friend Mm -hmm. in a way that can be really 
I think disingenuous and also unnecessary. And that's not to say like, I've got the, I have so many friends in poetry and as a result of poetry. And so it's not to, to in in any way say like, okay, there's no such thing as making friends in this community. But I think, I think that like, there's an expectation in other fields that like you network to develop business relationships. And I think there's almost like an offense when people talk about like the idea of moving forward with like business relationships. It's like, you know, well, there, there needs to be this, like, this has to be this, this friend, this love and beloved and this person, you know what I mean? And it it doesn't have to be that. It could just be a colleague who is cool and maybe I'll develop a friendship later. But like, I think, I think that maybe the first part of that question is, is what it means to differentiate between people you are in actual friendship with or people who you are in business relationships with and also being okay with business relationships. I feel very similarly about having to discern between, okay, this is a friendship versus this is a colleague, both of whom are great, just who fulfill different roles for me. Yeah. So for example, obviously when we decided to step into business together with submitting our apps for verses, this was a space where I was like, oh, I could absolutely go, you know, I could do business with my best friend. But that's something that we knew already because we've Mm -hmm. done stuff together before. We taught workshops together. We have complementary working styles. I know that if I drop the ball somewhere that you are willing to pick it up and it's not going to be a big problem because it's like, oh, that's my best friend. I know her brain. I know her heart. I know that she just forgot or got busy or whatever the case may be. And I felt like that was an easy thing to do with you because it wouldn't have some of the other dynamics of, okay, I don't know this person as well. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, if they drop the ball on this thing. (laughs) I don't know how they might handle it. I don't know how to predict whether or not they're going to drop the ball on this thing. Like, I know if we got an early morning meeting, I need to show up prepared because Bess is not necessarily a super early morning person. Bess knows that if it's in the evening and my kids is going to be running around and all of that stuff, like, okay, you need to come prepared to talk <laughs> because I am at the <laughs> end of myself <laughs> and it might not go so good if I have to carry us, right? Like, those are things that we know about each other because we have such a long-lasting friendship. I think I have some friends who I and not as compatible with in business things, but we're great friends. So I would not go into business with them because we're not compatible in business and we don't have to be compatible in business because they're my friend. (laughs) And then I have some people who I think I would do great business with because we have similar visions. We have similar mindsets, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't have to be their friend because I'm you know, because we're colleagues <laughs> and our colleagues who work together. Like, I think that as long as people can distinguish between those roles and figure out what that looks like for them, then I think that that's the best and easiest way to navigate that, as opposed to wanting to blur everything together and put it all in the same pot, because it, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't, and it, and it doesn't have to be with any animosity. It's not a diss to somebody to say that they're your colleague. Like, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not a, a negative thing to say, like, there, there are people who I have incredible working, love working with folks. I'm like, this person is brilliant. And there could be a myriad of reasons, none of them that are even negative on that, that I perceive as negative on the part of the person for why that isn't necessarily like this fully developed friendship. And I also want to just toss in with this question too, Bess. I don't know if you remember from Pat Parker the sister loved the letters of Pat Parker and Audre Lorde. Yes, there we go. And I don't know if you remember best the letter where I think Audrey is talking about how like her, I might be misaligning it, but her and Pat got like booked for the same thing and they essentially tried to play Pat on her pay. And Audrey was essentially like, oh, this they not about to catch me acting shady towards you on the business stuff. And this is, I'm about to be transparent with you about what's going on. And I remember how it was, re- do you remember how that situation was resolved? Not off the top of my head. Okay. I would have to go back to the letter, but essentially Audrey like went and addressed it head on and like talked to her about the discrepancy in the pay that they were attempting to offer the two of them. And I don't remember what she did to resolve it, but there was something done to resolve it. I refer or think back to moments like that really frequently when people are in business spaces and not just like these ethical questions come up, but like 
these like maybe harder business decisions are being made in the midst of friendship and what it means to continue to navigate with your friends ethically and with care and prioritizing that like love and transparency over the sake of the business deal. I don't know. Is what I'm saying makes, makes sense. If I'm hearing you correctly, you're talking about the importance of making sure that you are still honoring your ethical line, even if there is like a better business deal for you on the line, or even if this is a space where somebody else might be like, okay, well, this is just business that I'm making more than you and you're making less than me. It's not just business because there are these other issues on the line. Yes. Yes. And, and thank you for wording it that way. That thing exactly. And then what, how that, how standing on your ethical lines also works to preserve the genuine relationships and friendships that you have because there's no reason to be different ethically in business than you would have in your friendship if that makes sense okay next question can you talk about how explorations of sexuality intimacy desire and or the erotic impact your work and how you see these identities, themes, and concepts connected to your poetic process or relationship? Who they got some questions <laughs> on there, but you, you know that video. Who who was it? Who was trying to say Charlemagne and all them names? Who y'all got some names on y'all? Y'all got some questions. <laughs> Ooh, well, I think intimacy of all of those things is probably like my umbrella. My gateway, if you will, intimacy is most important to me because intimacy spans so many of my relationships. I have very intimate friendships, as I'm sure folks have noticed. <laughs> have noticed my, you know, partnership with my person is an intimate relationship. My best friends are intimate relationships. Being able to center like pleasure and intimacy in my everyday life is something that's wildly important to me. It's like a non-negotiable. So I think that all of that spills over into my writing practice. I want to write about things that that make me feel tender, that make me feel close to the subject, whether it's I'm writing about a person, whether I'm writing about my city. I want there to be a sense of intimacy there. I almost want you to read my poems and feel like you kind of, like you spying into something that Mm. is this close, you know, personal space because I want the intimacy to feel palpable in that way. I feel similarly about the erotic. I think I've been veering more into essays about the erotic because that's a much more expansive topic for me. I think, especially in a way that people talk about mothers (laughs) with this removal of the erotic, talking about dark-skinned women with a removal of the erotic or the removal of what people feel is like attractability, which then removes the idea that they could be like sexual or erotic. And so my essays have kind of been exploring more of that. But I just think, I don't know, I feel like overall it comes back to like a centering of intimacy, which centers pleasure, which centers the erotic. Hmm. And then all of which shows up in my work as not just like the emotion thereof, but wanting to pull on the senses, wanting to pull on the images that make people see and feel things like intimately. That makes a lot of sense, knowing what I know about you and thinking about that in the context of your poems they are very intimate I try <laughs> Ooh, and not only are they intimate they're like surprisingly intimate like I'd be like okay Cardi okay Flo Millie my heart like <laughs> it truly comes out of nowhere <laughs> like why am I crying the definition of why am I crying in the club right now like oh that makes me smile better yeah so for me I think that the thing about the work that I have up publicly I don't think that my work was particularly intimate for a very long time I think that a lot of my work had distance either by way of um, removing myself like removing my full self removing myself as somebody who um, is capable of like wrong Mm. because I I do think it's, I think it's not impossible, but very difficult to engage true intimacy in work if your speaker isn't somebody who's also capable of harm, because then you're not showing your full self. And I remember who it was, I think I've quoted this before, but I remember who it was, but they said something along the lines of, if you're like 99% known, then you're like unknown. And 
And I think I dealt with a lot of world or like cultural events that not necessarily didn't have anything to do with me, but that let me feel a kind of distance as a speaker. And I think my newer work is a lot more intimate, but maybe more intimate with myself as opposed to intimate with other people. My new work is me figuring out what does it mean for me to feel kind of revealed or exposed on the page and be okay with that, not for the sake of my audience, but for the sake of myself. And what does it mean to have cultivated that kind of intimacy in me, which I think is also maybe about spiritual intimacy as well. And then as far as like sexuality and desire, I am almost the opposite of you, Bess. It got to surprise me. You know what I mean? (laughs) When sexuality shows up on the page, everybody's in shock. I'm looking at, I'm like, I too am like, where did that come from? And I, it's it's really interesting because most of my work where sex or sexuality comes up is work where I'm talking about faith or God or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Something in that vein. And, and then somewhere in that exploration, desire arises. And I think that's really tied to intimacy. I think when I think about, faith and my faith intimacy intimacy and relationship and desire are like really really closely related I think even in the ways we talk about if you're somebody who is Christian or coming out of Christian traditions we talk about the relationship to the spirit the relationship to Jesus like they're all it's all very like intimate longing desirous language so the idea that the erotic would not be far from that is not surprising to me at all yeah so I think I think those things pop up for me there and I and I think they're actually continued spiritual explorations of myself I can see that yeah I can see that okay I feel like this kind of ties into our last audience question if you were tasked to write an essay on one another as authors, which topic would each essay discuss? So if you had to write an essay about me, my work and I had to write an essay about your work. Oh, so boom. <laughs> Say less. All right. All right. So boom. So I'm writing about Brittany, right? And obviously we're talking about Detroit. Obviously we're talking about Detroit's beauty culture. We're talking about black femme rappers. We're talking about dark skinned women. We're talking about faith in the black church. If you don't know, now you know. Now you know. We are talking about migration. All right. Where oh, oh, it contains multitudes over here, baby. <laughs> it's complex. It's complex. It's giving it's giving layers. We are talking about, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. We are talking about motherhood, but specifically, maybe not specifically, we're talking about oldest daughters. We're talking about matrilineal relationships, okay? And we're looking at the way all of these things are explored, excavated, et cetera, and intertwined. In the body of work, in the first book, I've read it. It's amazing. Um, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Five stars. She looks on... so pleased with herself right now. Yeah. <laughs> five stars on Goodreads, y'all. There's The essay is, is touching on all of those. And the, and the T is, it, it's not an essay. It's a series of essays. Because each of those is its own chapter. Migration, own chapter. Dark-skinned women, own chapter. Black women rappers, own chapter. Truly and honestly, we can break it down. It's a dissertation. That's the real tea. This why I'm in love with her. Y'all see what dissertation I'm talking about? <laughs> incoming. This is a why. Okay. Okay. And likewise, I definitely would have to write a full book. Ajane does things in her writing that I could only like dream of. I want y'all to know. So if I'm thinking on a craft level, I have to write about Kenny's. I have to write about Ajane has a way of like compounding actions with images that is like breathtaking like I think of course the poem that I'm thinking of is in the author it's not scheduled it's a different one but anywho (laughs) Ajene has a way of just combining phrases that opens up so much of what I think images can do lines are like breathtaking moving into lyric 
effortlessly, like that is something that I really, really admire that Ajane does. That I'd be like, whoo, my best is out here out writing, I tell you, writing. In terms of content, we're dealing with ethics. We're definitely, definitely dealing with faith, but we're not dealing with faith in like a corny way, which is something I also appreciate. We're dealing with faith and how it causes us to be in better relationship with other people. I think there's always an undercurrent of personal faith, like a personal belief in every poem, but that's not like the focus of the poems. The focus of the poems, the focus of the essays is how faith caused you to be better with other folks or how faith caused you to be in better relationship, better ethics with community, with self, with larger religious community, with family, with partners, with best friends, like all of those jams. Ajane's including music. Ajane's looking at disco. Ajane is looking at pop culture. Let's see. Ajane is also looking at matrilineal. I think Ajane, who I have answers that I want to give best, but I feel like it's veering into the work that I see you writing and not necessarily the work that's out now. But I feel like you're doing a lot of interrogation right now around separating like the image of yourself from yourself. Mm. And I'm really, I'm really enjoying that for the record. Bless my little heart. I think there's been like this idea of who you are this whole time. And I think now in your work, in your essays, in your poetry, in your visual work, I see you kind of separating what is me, what is who I was, what is who I'm becoming. Mm. And that's like chef's kiss. Oh, best my heart. Okay, best. So I want to turn our regular question in on us for a little bit. If there were three people that folks would have to engage with to understand our friendship, who would they be? Oh, best. That's cute. I'm going to start in in the true spirit of honesty with the city girls. <laughs> Period. I just feel like if you ain't here, JT, say, how y'all going to end city girls when y'all ain't half of me? Don't play with young Miami ho. That's the other half of me. And think about me and Ajane Dawkins. I don't know what to tell you. Period. <laughs> I want you to not replace your name there every time. That's all. <laughs> That's a love language. I didn't know that. Oh, my gosh. Because I'll be like, oh, look at them. They're so cute. The people want them to break up so bad. And they do not look like they're here for it. And if that ain't. <laughs> My gosh. Okay. Yes. I'm co-sided. City girls all day. I'm going to toss the Clark sisters in this mug. Oh, yes. Because if folks don't know you, Churchy, then that's what I'm going to say. And not just churchy, but like old school churchy. Like, listen, him you down, okay? Pass me not, oh gentle savior, <laughs> churchy. If they don't know that, if they don't know that that's the bedrock, okay? <laughs> we contain multitudes. We do contain multitudes, the true bedrock of our friendship. <laughs> and, okay, last. I think it, it's got to be Tony Morrison. Absolutely vital to both, I feel like our personal friendships because I feel like I don't know I feel like you and I have understood each other a lot through like how we are how we've processed Toni Morrison's canon I would agree I would agree and then I also think that there's been like a lot of individual and shared moments of like sitting with her work like that's even us taking off of work to go see the pieces of me <laughs> like that's one of my favorite that's one of my favorite memories we took off work <laughs> to go see that movie when it came out in the theaters and we sat there and we cried together because it was at what that festival that uh-huh. was, <laughs> i was like well i guess my job will just have to catch me next time uh-huh we sure did yeah yeah tony morrison okay love that for us so listeners, you all came up with so many great questions that we wanted to incorporate them in our game round. So we came up kind of with an abbreviated version of Fast Punch that me and Ajane are going to play with you today. And we transformed your questions into Fast Punch, uh, one category or the other. We are going to decide which one of us is going to be the optimist and which one is going to be the pessimist. And then we're going to answer your questions accordingly. So we're excited to play Fast Punch. We've never been on this end of the game playing seat. I don't know, but it's a little intimidating. Honestly. <laughs> Not going to lie. 
I'm not like the best, like quick on your feet person. So I'm over here like, Lord, please let my brain work right. You know, I get test anxiety. <laughs> so you want to be the optimist or the pessimist? I feel like we should be true to ourselves. <laughs> Let's be true to ourselves. So I'll be the pessimist. <laughs> Listen, Ooh. in case you're ever wondering how we balance things, this is definitely, <laughs> you know, I lean a little bit more towards the, you know, what do we want to call it? The practicalness of life. And I'm a what if you fly girl. Okay, great. So you're optimist. I'm pessimist. Uh, let's kick off with the first question. Okay. Worst accountability method. Ooh, um, just telling me that I have to do something. Being like, oh, don't forget you have to do that thing. Because like, oh, okay. <laughs> no That's deadline. Remember it. <laughs> no deadline. No calendar invite. Just vibes. <laughs> Best accountability method. Best accountability method. Oh, body doubling. If you don't know what body doubling is, it's like when somebody, we do a lot of it virtually, but when somebody physically shows up to sit with you, y'all don't have to be doing the same thing, but the physical presence makes the difference and like remind you that you're supposed to be accountable in doing something. So we do it virtually on FaceTime, but body doubling is top tier. Okay. Best thing about being co-hosts. Oh, getting to talk to all these incredible writers that like, yeah, I, I'll get emotional if I think about it too much. I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, wow, I got to read your work and I get to ask you questions. That's crazy. Worst thing about being versus co-host. For me best is when I say something vulnerable to you, like on the episode and I forget that I said that vulnerable thing. And then like, you know, I meet somebody who's heard the episode and then they repeat back to me that vulnerable thing. I'm like, oh my God, who told you that? <laughs> and then I'm like, silly, you did. <laughs> it just you catches said, me off guard. You know? <laughs> oh, catches me God. off guard every time. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Valid. Oh my gosh. Worst ways that institutions support writers. Not paying them. Period. <laughs> it's an easy one. Mm-hmm. Best ways that institutions support writers. Paying them. There we go. <laughs> Um, okay. Worst way to prepare to write. Oh, for me to wait for inspiration to hit mm-hmm. is just <laughs> I'ma just be waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Mm-hmm. Best way to prepare to write. Best way to prepare to write in a space where my only job is to be an observer to like take notes. Cause there's like typically enough chaos happening around me that I have to like take a step back a little bit um but because I don't really have a job in the space but to observe I can just my brain can do a lot more connecting dots and jot notes down okay okay I can see that best I can see that best part about getting the MFA oh the folks I met and um yeah the folks I met between my instructors and other like members of my cohort yeah, worst part about getting an MFA. Student loans. I was about to say that bill. Student loans. So raggedy. <laughs> but I've forgiven my own student loans, so they can do what they want to do with those. Again, eyeball to eyeball. Okay, best way to be outside. Ooh, the unexpected incredible time when you go to something thinking oh i'm gonna just show up and it bangs and it leads to the next spot, the next move. Like, and it just, it builds, like, you'd be like, oh, I like, you have to force yourself to go home, but you didn't even think it was going to be all that. You was just showing your face. Yeah. Worst way to be outside. Ooh, for me, it's being outside with a bunch of restrictions. Um, mm. Like, if I'm on the outside because I got to do this work thing, so now I can't really have fun because I'm at work. Or <laughs> I'm outside, but people expect me not to dress this way or look this way or whatever. I don't have them problems, but, you know. That don't apply to me, but I just be looking at people real sad. Like, ooh, that gotta be, that's not fun. You don't look like you having no fun. <laughs> ooh. Okay. okay. Worst classic. I feel like the literary people are gonna hate me. I don't care. Of my same man. I'm not even gonna say it's the worst. It's the worst I've read, though. So. Oh, okay. I remember reading of my Men in middle school, but I literally don't even think I remember what it was about. Like, as a grown person, I just feel like it hasn't aged well. And teachers are determined they this is the hill they want to die on. So maybe it's me as a teacher saying this, and not even necessarily me with the nostalgia of having read it. Um, as a teacher, it ain't the hill to die on. It's the worst classic to try to teach for me. Bet best classic best. 
I'm over here thinking, what is my best classic? It's because the possibilities are endless. <laughs> the possibilities are endless. I'm gonna go with like the works of somebody. And it, so if we're if we're going like like the 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 white classics, like a lot of the classics that I was taught in school, I might have to go crazy on the like original Shakespeare plays. Like they do bang, they do bang. I I don't want them to bang, but like, Listen, but they got a little knock to it. <laughs> they do bang, like Romeo and Juliet, bang. You know what I mean? Hamlet, bang. Othello, bang. Like I I I fear their bangers. <laughs> they got they got all the elements. I'm not mad at that best. I'm not mad. <laughs> all right. Lastly, worst advice to give someone. For me, and again, this it does not apply to everybody. For me, write every day, worst advice you can give me because it's impossible. So then it just feels like you're giving me impossible advice for no reason. <laughs> I think creating every day and living every day and the knowing that that living will lead to creation is very different than me as a person with three kids in a neurodivergent household with a full-time teaching job and being like, oh, well, you just have to carve out <laughs> time to write every day no that's definitely valid what about your best best advice you can give someone okay i don't know if this is i feel like this is the best best but the idea that there are no rules Mm -hmm. um and not that that means that there's not like an ethic i should uphold but like any rule can be broken like if i have the imagination for like why because I feel like it's always like, you don't do this thing. You don't do this thing. You never do this thing in writing. And then it's like, you see somebody do it. It's like, well, that was fire. Like, well, that went crazy. So what now? Yes, period. So that's my, the that there are no rules to this year. Shebang. Oh, wow, Bess. Okay, we won. No, we won the game. And we won. <laughs> we did it. We did it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Bess, who do you want to thank today? So I would love to thank our listeners because we just randomly tweeted out, hey, what sort of questions would y'all like to ask? And we got such generous, such kind, such thoughtful responses that I was like, oh, they might really fuck with us. Yeah. (laughs) And I did my heart some good. So thank you listeners for making this episode possible. Yeah, y'all are amazing. Um, And thank you for rocking with us for this next season. We're really excited. So I second this thank you to the listeners. I also want to offer a thank you to Philip B. Williams, who has been a consistent light and mentor and friend for Brittany and I. Oh, yes. Very wholesome. <laughs> Thanks, Philip. Thank you, Philip. <laughs> we also want to offer thank yous to the Poetry Foundation, Itza Blancas, Irami Noriega, Elon Sloan, Sim Pim, and Ambi production. And if you check the show notes, there is a writing prompt in there for you. Or you can follow us on Twitter and find a full resource sheet for every episode. Until next time. Until next time. Yeah.